Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We've got a few things to talk about today. Marcelo Zuna is a brave. Josh Donaldson is a twin. And a couple of interesting things that I have dug up from our new infield outs above average metric. But first, the Hall of Fame was yesterday. Uh, to no one's surprise, Derek Jeter got in and everybody's all up in arms that one person didn't vote him in. So here, here's my take on this. Um, I don't care who it was. I really don't. But I'm so interested to know why. Like, it could be so many different things. It could be spite. It could be he personally does not like Derek Jeter. Uh, it could be that he doesn't think he was a Hall of Fame player, which is insane. It could be that he wanted to uh, vote 10 or other guys. Or she. It could be that they wanted to vote in 10 other guys, which, like, reasonable. Or it could be a mistake. Like, there's so many options here. Um, I feel like we're never, ever going to know. Um, I agree. It would be it would be good to know. I don't. I'm I'm with you. I don't really, really care that much about you know unanimous or or not. It's kind of funny how people get all outraged over this. When if you look at like the highest vote totals in history, they're all from like the last few years. They're Rivera number one, Jeter two, Ken Griffey Jr. three. Like the crazy stuff is from like the early years when they took Hank Greenberg nine tries to get in the right. Hall of Fame. Harmon Killebrew on his fourth time, and they had almost six hundred home runs. So um, right now it's much more sane than it was at one point. Um, I was glad about two things with the Hall of Fame. Uh, I was glad that uh, Larry Walker got in. Yes, he deserves it on his uh, on the on the merits. I was also glad that Bobby Abreu survived the five percent <laughs> rule because man, Bobby Abreu deserves more of an attention more attention when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Higher career war than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Well, you know what? That, that's actually a great point because, like, each year for the last couple of years, there's been like a uh, sabermetric kind of cause that everybody, like, it was Tim Raines, right? And now it's Larry Walker, Edgar Martinez, right? There's kind of a big donut hole next year. Like, there's no terribly interesting new guys on the ballot. Um, you know, it's hard to make any more of a case for Bonds and Clemens and, or, or Kurt Schilling, right? So there's room to like push a guy. I feel like it's going to be Scott Rowland. But if you want to be on the Bobby Abreu train, I'm all for it. I just want to point out one of my all-time favorite seasons that basically is completely overlooked, Bob Abreu, in 2004. He hit 301, 428, 544 with 30 home runs, 47 doubles, and was 40 for 45 in stolen bases, and he finished 23rd in MVP voting. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Bobby, Barry Bonds' like crazy year. So like was he, wasn't, he wasn't going to win. He should have been fourth, right? Like, <laughs> but, I mean, that is just wild. Um so yeah, he's. I mean, he's kind of underrated in the same way that that Roland is, uh, in my in my estimation. So I'm glad that he got 5.5 percent of the vote. I don't think he will ever get in via the Baseball Writers Association of America. Although I would like to, I would like to see him last long enough for me to cast a vote, which will happen, assuming he stays on it for 10 years. In which case, I will definitely cast a vote for Bob Abreu. You have what, like eight more years? Yeah, I think I have six more years. I I should look ahead and see who's going to be there. Like who's going to retire. I guess after I guess I don't know if it would be this upcoming season or two more seasons. Um, like maybe it's Albert Pools. Maybe I'll get to be the first in the vote for Albert Pools. Okay, uh, there been some, some moves. Marcelo Zuna uh, to the Braves on a one-year, eighteen million dollar deal, which basically means he signed for more or less the qualifying offer that he turned down from the Cardinals three months ago. <laughs> it's the the two biggest deals of the last week: um, Zuna to the Braves and Donaldson to the Twins, which we'll uh, get to in a little bit. Both kind of happened while other major news was happening. Azuna broke just as the Hall of Fame was being announced. Yeah. <laughs> Donaldson broke just as it was announced that Alex Cora and the Red Sox were, were mutually parting ways. So they kind of got buried a little bit by the by the news cycle. Um, but uh, the Azuna thing kind of 
fascinating to me. Clearly kind of reacts. The brains were like, oh, we lost Donaldson. We got to do something to make up for this offense. I get it. And it's a one-year deal. So it's like, how bad could it be? I do think it's it's uh, it's a weird fit. So we had talked about Ozuna on this show previously uh, when he was one of the, the free agents we dug into earlier in the winter. Um, so I'm not going to completely rehash all that, but for a primer for those of you who missed it, he was a really interesting player to me because he crushes the ball really hard. The stack cast metrics like him very much, and the production hasn't actually been there. If you look at this last season, 2019, he had a 49% hard hit rate, which is outstanding. That's 96th percentile, top dozen in baseball. It's like the same as Jordan Alvarez or Christian Yelich. Like, that's really good. Uh, and ex- if you look at expected weighted on base over the last two years, he's been basically a top 25 hitter. Now, has he actually been a top 25 hitter? No, <laughs> nor anything close to it. He's been with St. Louis for two years, and he has been uh, about 6% above league average. In each of those two years, if you look at OPS Plus, he's basically hit as well as Derek Dietrich or Mitch Moreland, who I don't believe either of those guys have jobs right now. So it's not what you want. Uh, and you should go back and listen to the other show that we talked about and the whole article I wrote about it. But the short version here is that uh, despite the fact that there's this huge gap between Ozuna's expected metrics and his actual metrics, it's not bad luck. It's just it's not. Uh, I looked at it at the time and I came down with a couple of things. Um, he's pulling more ground balls. You know, it's easier to position against. He's not hitting the ground balls that hard. Uh, he had a bad shoulder in 2018 and a fractured finger in 2019. And then I also read an interesting article from this uh, Cardinals blog called Birds in the Black that really dug into like maybe he's swinging the ball, the bat in such a way that he's slicing the ball and costing himself some feet on home runs, which is interesting. We don't really have a great way to account for that right now. I guess if I'm the Braves, I'm willing to bet on that. Uh, while also realizing there's no such thing as a, a bad one-year deal. And they only had one good outfielder. Like Acuna is a legend, right? Do you want to start Nick Barcakis every day? I know a lot of Braves fans do. I don't. Adam Duvall? I love Adam Duvall, but you, you can't really see me shrugging here. This is me shrugging. <laughs> and, they, and they have Inciarte, who can still play defense, but was terrible to play last year. And hurt, yeah. So, the, I mean, they're gonna. it's going to be a mix-and-match situation, I think, where Acuna is basically going to all three outfield positions and, you know, based on matchups – Playing Zuna and left, maybe sitting him against some some uh, tough righties, and I guess the, th- the 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 big red flag for me with Zuna is not just the 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 bad defense, um, and he's he rates very poorly and outs above average, but it's also just like he looks he's he, you know you could say oh he's young he's still he's still twenty nine but like he's gotten slower every year. If you look at his sprint speed numbers, two thousand fifteen. He ranked 119th in MLB, then 158th, then 182nd, then 197th, yeah. and then last it's, year, then last year 240th. And he, I mean, you watch him play, and he kind of looks old. So it's it's quote quote unquote old, but it's it's not a great. <laughs> the speed trends are bad. They match up with the defense and the defensive eye test. So it's uh, I, I do want to talk about the defense for a minute, right? So we have him as a minus eight outs above average, which is quite bad. But he was a plus two defensive run saved and a plus 5.7 UZR. And so I had some people who kind of questioned about that. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, so I tried to dig into it. And I can't really comment on what the other metrics are doing. But I'm pretty convinced that he is a negative defender. You just said the eye test, right? Um, there's two things happening here. First of all, last year, he had no great plays. His best catch of the year at just a 65% catch probability. We see guys doing 15s, 20s all the time. He never had any of those. He had six missed plays with a 90% catch probability or above. Yes, including that play, <laughs> the play everybody's thinking about. That was one of them. 
for those who aren't, can't get the mental image, it's the one where he tried to climb the wall and the ball bounced on the warning track. <laughs> and then he fell on his face. Uh, it was probably my favorite clip of the entire year. Uh, he missed three more that had a 70% or above, and then three more on top of that that had a 60% or above. I watched every single one of those this morning, and I can tell you there's no data problems with this. It is completely believable. I do believe he is a poor outfielder. Um, it is interesting that we didn't really – I guess we probably mentioned this on a show once, but we talk about Castellanos, the other major free agent outfielders, maybe being like a DH-ish. Ozuna's not viewed that way, but maybe he should be. I guess on a one-year deal, who cares? Yeah, right? And also, outside average does not account for his throwing arm, which right. we've discussed on this show many times before, which is you know probably the worst. Now that Chris Davis – Chris with the K Davis no longer plays the outfield, like Ozuna's probably has the worst throwing arm of any regular outfielder in baseball, um, You know, which is – so we we have just been like kind of crushing Marcelo Zuna, and yet I still like the deal for the Braves. Like, how can you argue about a one year deal? And they had a, kind of a big hole. We talked about the outfield with Donaldson gone. They don't really have a third baseman. I guess it's going to be Johan Carmargo or Austin Riley, who I don't really believe can make enough contact. Like, they needed a bat, and Zuna is definitely a bat. Yes, but you look at you look at um, if you go um, Fangraphs and your projected WAR uh, for each team right now, the Braves and projected WAR are projected worse than the National and worse than the Mets. And losing Josh Donaldson is really looms large right now. You point to third base. For months, I have thought that the Braves are the best trade destination for Nolan Arenado in light of Nolan Arenado basically saying he's really unhappy um, in Colorado. And it seems like the likelihood of him getting traded has just increased yeah. the day after GM Jeff Friday said he wasn't getting traded. The day after. No, it was like 90 <laughs> minutes. I... Still think this is the best fit. Last week, uh, if you missed it, um, we had a, a fun piece on MLB.com in which Mike got to – this was before any of this, this this stuff got crazy with Arenado criticizing the team. Mike got to play the role of Jeff Breidich, and we had our beat reporters for the Rangers, uh, T.R. Sullivan, Cardinals, uh, and Rogers and Braves, Mark Bowman, present trade offers of like, hey, if I were GM of these teams, this is what my Arenado offer would be. And the best offer was from Mark Bowman and the Braves, and that was the one – that that, uh, that that Mike, a.k.a. Jeff Breidich, picked. And a week later, all I could think about is, this is the trade that needs to happen. If I'm the Braves, I go all in to make this happen. I, well, I agree with you on that, for sure. I don't think that a trade can actually happen, right? So he's got a huge contract, $230 million. He's got a no-trade clause. He's got an opt-out in two years. And the the Rockies, I don't think, are going to just like trade the contract without getting like high-end talent back. How, how is a team going to be able to do all that? They have to, you have to negotiate the opt-out. You have to be able to say, we will make this trade as long as we get an agreement with with Arenado that either we negate the opt-out or we, we change it so it's an opt-out after four years instead of an opt-out after two years or something that like, which, you know, as, as my father always liked to say, everything is negotiable. Like you can negotiate, <laughs> you can negotiate this. Um, well, can I say that I, I agree with you that Atlanta is the best destination for Arenado and that it's never going to happen. What's going to happen? It's not going to be Chris Bryant either. It's going to be Kyle Seager. Kyle Seager is obviously not as good of a player as Arenado, but he's a pretty good third baseman. That's like a perfect fit. But he also he's I mean his contract is more problematic because he has that uh, quote unquote poison pill. It's where not the, that bad though. It's like, like one extra year. Hey, I just I just heard anything can be negotiated. <laughs> this is this is true. Um, while while we're talking about the Braves, so we rolled out uh, earlier this month Statcast infield outs above average, right? Like we've been talking about this forever. How do we measure infield defense? Um, it's been pretty fun. People seem to dig it. One of the questions that came up to me was, hey, why do you guys hate Ozzy Albies? And I was like, I don't personally hate Ozzy Albies. I think he's super fun. But the reason for that is the numbers uh, show him, at least our numbers, as taking a big dive. And I kind of wanted to explain why that was. 
you look at the last two years, he was an equal plus eight with DRS in both seasons. EZR had him plus six and plus two. Statcast had him plus 16 and then minus two. That is an enormous gap. Uh, he didn't get slower. His sprint speed was like basically identical, 28.7 feet per second. His home to first was 4.07 in 2018 and 404 last year. Uh, so what happened? Like, why, why are we killing him this much? And so Tom Tango helped me dig into this. And I think the results are kind of cool. I included him in a, a look at like four or five infielders who uh, hopefully the new metric may give you a different impression of. So when you look at the plays that Albies was responsible for, almost the uh, same amount of plays. In 2018, we have him down for 422 opportunities and last year 432. So that's great. It's a similar baseline to work from. But it's as simple as he made fewer outs and he allowed more hits. Uh, in 2018, he got 382 outs. Last year, 366. Uh, in 2018, he allowed 35 hits to get past him, and last year, 62. So that breaks down into 16 fewer plays that he turned into outs. Uh, that would explain six of the missing 18 outs above average. And nearly twice as many balls got past him for hits. Those missed plays uh, explain the remaining 13 outs above average. It is sometimes as simple as uh, more chances and fewer plays made which isn't super satisfying, but that's why the metric works that way. But I want to know why. And when I looked into it, you can look at it directionally as well. And it's largely about moving to his right, to, to his uh, hand side. And I included a video in this piece, and you can take a look at it. He went from being uh, plus four in 2018 to minus 10 going in that direction. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I can't explain why. I don't know why. But it's also you know tough, I think, for people to grasp like a brand new stat. And I wanted to find out, is there anything more traditional that would explain, yeah, this guy despite the you know the eye test and the drs uh might actually have been hurting the infield and i think i found it if you look at the braves infield over the last two years uh, freddie freeman was consistent at first base dansby swanson was consistent at shortstop and third base improved because they, they added josh donaldson who was very good but if you look at their ground balls the batting average allowed on ground balls in 2018 they allowed a 226 which was third best and in 2019 with donaldson that jumped up to 257 the fourth highest all those base hits got to come from somewhere. So I am, uh, if we had like a little, you know, metal or something, I would say buying it. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't think this predicts he's going to be a lousy infielder next year. Um, but that was concerning to me. And I think the number kind of shows something happening. Here. It's, it's definitely something that I'll want to monitor over the course of the season. Um, as we sort of look for, you know, with the first year of being able to sort of watch infield outs above average in real time, we'll finally get to sort of monitor trends as we see them. And this is definitely one of those. Cause you know, I mentioned this last week when I, on, on our last show, when we talked about things about the first glimpse at infield outs above average that jumped out to us, and Albies was one of them, just like so extreme, where he was like really strong going to his left and really weak going to his right. And as we discussed, as it turns out, infielders are kind of like hitters. They kind of have platoon, you know, yeah. they, they signs they prefer going to, and most prefer going to their glove side, which, you know, kind of makes sense. But uh, um, Albies was extreme in that regard. And I mean, the Braves as a whole last year, um, their infield defense was 10th of 30 teams. So, like, he obviously, what, whatever was going on wasn't crushing them. And maybe there's some, like, something hidden within, like, shifts and such that kind of, like, masks or makes him look worse. And that's kind of one of the things that I kind of curious to see how that develops over the course of the season. I feel like we've just been kind of down on the Braves for, like, 15 minutes. And yet they're the two-time defending division champs. And I like their pitching staff. And uh, I never know what to make of the Mets, right? Like, they've got maybe the, the biggest stars, but, you know, they haven't been able to pull it together. I feel like Nationals have taken a big step back. Does that sound right? I mean, they lost Rendon, right? And all we heard last year was, oh, old guys, veteran experience. And I, I feel like that worked at that time, and that 
I can't count on that again this year, you know? Like it's certainly hard to imagine, you know, Howie Kendrick being on a regular right. basis one of like the eight best hitters right. in baseball. Is Strasburg gonna stay healthy for another two hundred innings again? Like Scherzer maybe like is starting to see like I'm not counting Scherzer out, obviously, but uh and then the Phillies like I never know to make the Phillies either. I still probably will pick the Braves. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, in some ways, then this is a good transition to, uh, to, to talk about Donaldson to the Twins. You know, the biggest winners of the Donaldson going to the Twins were the Phillies, Mets, and Nets. Um, Phillies, Mets in particular, because they weren't really rumored to be in on Donaldson to begin with. But the fact that the Braves were weakened in such like a glaring, obvious way opens up that division in a, in a big way. Before we move on, just very quickly, I am going to say, uh, the Marlins are going to be fun this year. They've added like four professional quality hitters like Aguiar, VR, Dickerson, the young pitching – they're not going to be good. No one's going to pick them to win the division. Uh, but we've usually been saying like four teams and then the Marlins. I feel like maybe five teams. They're going to be kind of uh, – they're going to be a little frisky this year. Been sort <laughs> frisky. Of, I been, like it. They've been sort of like a, you know, a bit of a doormat. But I'm I'm a big uh, Corey Dickerson fan. I yeah. don't know why more team, more contenders weren't weren't interested um, in him. I thought he was a, an obvious fit for the Cardinals if they weren't going to resign Ozuna. Um, so to see him end up at the Marlins sort of surprised me because I would think at the – at the level he was going to cost, any number of contenders could have used him. Um, so um, good for the Marlins. So the Braves did lose Josh Donaldson. Four years and $84 million to the Twins. And I guess there's some risk here because he just turned 34 years old. But I think this might be my early leader for my favorite deal of the entire offseason. You know, like, I sure, Garrett Cole, right? Anthony Rendon, those guys are great. I really, really like Josh Donaldson to the Twins. Um, I thought it was kind of fun. Last year, he had what you would call almost an exactly average Donaldson year. Uh, he had a 379 on base and a 521 slug for his career. He's had a 369 on base and a 509 slug. He is like, if that's average for him, that's excellent for anybody else. Uh, since he had this breakout in 2013, he's been the second most valuable player in baseball. When you look at Fangraphs wins about replacement, Mike Trout 62, Donaldson 41, Betts 37, and that includes a 2018, which was essentially uh, entirely lost to calf injuries. He, even last year, had a 97th percentile exit velocity, and same for hard hit. His 50% hard hit rate was tied for 10th of anybody who had 100 balls in play, 94th percentile expected weighted on base, and I thought this was fun. He had elite infield defense. Now, if you think about the best defending third baseman in baseball, any list you come up with, by definition, has to start in some order with Nolan Arenado and Matt Chapman. All right, You could argue either way. We have Chapman at plus 14 and Arenado at plus 17. Number three, Josh Donaldson at plus eight. That's like an all-around superstar year and what do the twins need more homers <laughs> it was it, it's a, a, a fantastic for that team because not only does he just make them better he allows miguel Sano to go to first base where he should be he was a poor defensive so they, not only are they just beefing up their lineup they're getting Sano from where he's a weak defender to where he's going to be probably neutral ish they're now going to have an above average defensive third baseman and also it puts marvin gonzalez in the role he's role he's best suited for, which is like the super utility guy, as opposed to being like, you know, written in as a regular who then backs up elsewhere. Like the fact that he now could just be like a bench player to begin with. I mean, you look. I mean, you look at the lineup. It's insane. It's stacked. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at what they have on on Fangraphs right now, and they have it listed with. I mean, I don't think this is what's going to happen, but they've listed with Sano batting eighth, <laughs> Max yeah. Kepler, Jorge Polanco, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson, Eddie Rosario, Mitch Garver. My boy, Luis Arise, um, Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton. It's This it's, is a really good team. Unfair almost. I mean, they've, they've sort of made up for the fact they never really got the, the big ticket starting pitcher they needed. Like Homer Bailey's nice. I like Rich Hill when he's healthy. Uh, but 
they never got, you know, the Wheeler, the Bumgarner, whoever you thought they might get. So they're just going to slug their way around it. And that's the thing. It's a certain point to say, okay, how can I improve my, improve my team? And Donaldson improved the team. Like there wasn't an obvious fit to improve the starting pitching. They went and they tried, you know, they, they got Hale and Bailey. I still think they're probably going to need to make a trade for a pitcher over the course of the season, at least for, at least for the postseason. But, you know, for the regular season, they're the clear favorites in the AL Central again. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Cleveland's done nothing at all. Uh, I, I like the White Sox offseason, but I'm still not convinced they're like all the way there, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I, I could see the White Sox finishing ahead of the Twins, of the Indians this year. Yeah, I, I think that's that's easy to say. Um, this also does help the, the defense, too, on the left side because, you know, Sano wasn't great. Jorge Polanco rated really poorly. I mean, yeah. this, this isn't going to make Polanco better. Uh, but it's also funny because if you look at the offense, you know, Sano, or Donaldson isn't like, much of an upgrade over Sano because Sano mashes as well. But if you look at the first baseman last year, uh, they had a 309 on base and a 435 slug. That was the eighth worst weighted runs created in baseball from first baseman. It was like CJ Cron and uh, Adrianza and Astadio. And now you have Sano there. And like you said, the lineup is just like obscene. And I know, you know, you don't think of the Twins as like this power hitting team and you have Mitch Garver who somehow got on like a 60 home run pace. I'm kind of totally buying into Mitch Garver. Like the hard hit skills are absolutely there. It's not like a fluky thing. All these balls are flying over the fence for him. Um, and it's, it's, there's still upside here. Like if Buxton stays healthy for just like 10 consecutive minutes, it, he's going to have that big year. I mean, I'm looking at the projections, the fan, the steamer projections, every single one of those names I just mentioned, their starters are projected to have a weighted, run, weighted runs created plus above 100. And that includes Buxton. That is an optimistic view of Buxton, I'll admit, and I'm a big Buxton fan. But still, just it just speaks to how good this lineup is. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think through it because like they've got the decent bullpen and there is really no way I could not have them finishing first. Like I could not reasonably put the White Sox over them right now. Yeah, the, the White Sox. I mean, I could I could see a world in which that happens. Just you know, injuries, whatever, you know, breakouts. You know, the, the Eloy Jimenez could hit forty five home runs. Yeah. Uh, Luis Robert, comes Louis, up. Luis Robert and Madrigal come up. Like, it's it's possible. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, the Twins are obviously the the favorites to to repeat in that division. So I said that the Donaldson deal was, I think, my favorite of the winner so far. Uh, would you agree that the one that maybe raised your eyes the most? was when Mike Moustakis got four years and 64 million from the Reds. I liked what uh, Andrew Simon, one of our researchers, tweeted. And he was like, uh, well, in 2017, he had like a two-win season and 110 OPS plus, and he got one year. And in 2018, he had the exact same season, and he got one year. Then in 2019, he had the exact same season, and now he gets four years uh, to play a position he doesn't really play. That one, that one stood out to me. It's a it's a weird fit. I think the Reds have clearly sort of – they're trying this, – this to me, this was like an example of a team saying, okay, like how can we – improve our team for the short term. We're just going to, we're going to do something aggressive to try and make a play for, for 2020, hoping that this can kind of put us over the top in our division and say, we'll figure out <laughs> the rest of it. He's, he's a weird fit on this team because they have Suarez locked up at third base and Suarez is, you know, Suarez is a superior player. So it's yeah. sort of like, and Vado, you can't put Mustak as a first base either. Uh, but they also added uh, Shogo Akiyama, who I, I kind of like in center field, but they've also got a lot of outfielders now. You know, you thought maybe Nick Senzel would come back and play second base. I don't think he can play shortstop. But uh, I wanted to know, like, is it reasonable to think Mike Moustakas, who's like this big, slowish, sluggery type, could actually play uh, second base? Because it stands out. There's no there's no parachute here. Right? There's no DH. If this, if this doesn't work, you are 
toast. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I went and I dug into the metrics and uh, I started writing it up and I think it's kind of cool. And I remember the, the Brewers tried this last year. He was their opening day second baseman and he played 20 games there in, in March and April, uh, but he only played 27 games for the rest of the season as compared to 105 at third base. It's not because he couldn't do it. It's because Travis Shaw just like fell apart and Keston Heary came up to play second base. So mixing and matching there, but still of his 8,800 career defensive innings, 4% of them have come at second base. Um, now, this kind of gets into what is a second baseman. It is it is accurate to say he had never played second base uh, before 2019, right? But if you look at the 2018 NLCS against the Dodgers, you can find him making a couple of great plays at second base, but just as a shift at third baseman. This is where like positioning gets all squishy. Um, but it also kind of comes down to, uh, and I think you'd agree with this, second base is not the position it used to be. Right. Like, it, you know, first of all, there's just not many balls in play, right? More strikeouts, more home runs. Nobody wants to take rounders. The slide rule has kind of protected guys who didn't know how to protect themselves from, uh, you know, the Ruben Tejada chase out yeah. there. Uh, and there's just not that many double plays. So I actually looked up on fan graphs. They have a, a metric called a uh, balls in zone. Like how many opportunities were there in 2005, there were nearly 13,000 opportunities for second baseman. And last year there were 9,600. <laughs> like there's just not as many balls and the positioning is better. And I kind of came down to the fact if Max Muncie can do it, and no disrespect to Max Muncie, who I like very much, is he that dissimilar from Mike Mustakis? I don't know that he is. And I think that speaks to your point. If we're going to kind of, you know, we'll give the Dodgers credit. They've certainly been a, a, a cutting edge, kind of smart team. And when they do things, it's usually like, you know, there's a lot of thought and research put behind it. The fact that they're putting Max Muncie at second base suggests that they believe in kind of what you're saying that like second base is not as challenging a position as it once was. And you're seeing other teams um, experiment with the same. The Brewers are kind of that kind of team as well. They did it with Shaw. They did it with Shaw. They did it with Moustakis. And now the Reds are are, uh, are following suit. So I, I dug into the numbers for last year. Moustakis had 91 opportunities uh, at second base, not as a second baseman, just in the second base zone. And of the uh, of the 91, 79 of them are what you would consider easy, right? With a 90% expected out probable. So 79 easy plays out of 91. I think that says something right there. A lot of just playing the infield is collecting the easy plays and not botching those, not necessarily making the great plays. Of the 79, he made 78 correctly, which is, that's great. Like that's, every second baseman should make those plays. Um, that says a lot about him. Four of them were basically impossible. A 10% out probability or below. He didn't make any of those. Like, wouldn't expect him to. And that leaves us just with eight kind of mid-range, 30% to 80% plays. This is really where guys can set themselves apart. You can't really get too much out of eight. It's not that much of a sample, but he made four of them. Two of them were shifted into right field, so kind of long throws. One was tracking down a long pop-up. Uh, one of the ones he missed is probably where he's weakest, where it's like a grounder up the middle. He's running towards shortstop, trying to throw back across his body because you know third baseman's not going to do that that often. I think he can do it. I feel like I've talked myself into this. I don't think he's going to be great. He's not going to be Colton Wong, right? But he is going to be competent. And the Reds second baseman last year were really bad. They had a 289 on, a 288 on base and a 390 slugging. He's clearly going to be better on offense. And he might not be that much worse on defense. I, I didn't love the deal and I still don't, but I feel like I've talked myself into this experiment. So, okay. That, I see it. You make a compelling case. Where do you think the Reds stand in the NL Central? I don't know what to make of the NL, NL Central. I mean, we could probably start with the fact that the Pirates are going to lose like 105 games, right? And then the other four teams, uh, the Cardinals have done almost nothing, and they've lost a lot of bats, which we'll get to in a second. The Cubs have done almost nothing. The, the Brewers have done a lot, actually. Like, they've made a ton of moves around the edges. 
but I don't think they're better. They lost Grandal and they lost Moustakis. Um, I, I think the Reds are, I, they are the team of the winter, right? So that will get them some boost. I still don't know that they're the best team. If I had to pick today, I'm probably picking St. Louis, but I don't have a lot of confidence in it. I, the, yeah, the, the, the Cardinals inactivity just is sort of, is sort of shocking to me. And, you know, you look at, if you look at the projected war from fan graphs, the, the, the Reds are actually projected fourth. It's Cubs at 40 right now, as it stands now, the Cubs at 40, um, Brewers at 37, Cardinals at 35, Reds at 33. Projections are pretty down on the Reds hitters. Um, they're not that bull- they're not that bullish on Mustakas, for example. Well, the Reds scored the sixth fewest runs in baseball last year. That's <laughs> that's not unfair. Um, but if you look at you know, one way, I kind of looked at it was like, okay, how many like good hitters does each team have? And I went and looked at each team projected to have a how many players do they have projected at one ten weighted runs created plus or higher? The Cardinals only have one. The Reds, Brewers, and Cubs each have three. And if you go and look, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesse Winker is one of those yes, guys. Yes, that is. is stunning to me. Yes, he is. <laughs> Um, the three are Vado, which that I'm not, I'm taking the under on that. Uh, Winker and Suarez. Winker, wow. Project three. I mean, he gets on base. Projected with 368 is, OBP and the 461. Is, I don't know if you have it in front of you. Is there a projection for Akiyama, or is he not included yet? Uh, I don't think he is there yet. Um, so yeah, he's he's sort of he's an, another huge wild card. And the thing, I mean, if you're going to be bullish on the the Reds, it's the starting pitching, especially compared to their their the other teams in that division. Starting pitchers projected at a fit below four. Uh, 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 fielding independent pitching, which is basically ERA, but you know, focusing on uh, strikeouts, walks, and home runs allowed. Uh, a fit below 4.00. The Cubs only have one starter projected there. Cards one, Brewers one. The Reds have three. So that's like where they can differentiate themselves from the rest of the div- division. I, I could see all four of these teams between 85 and 90 wins. I think that's what's going to happen. I think you will have like a four-way dogfight to the end. I, I I look at this where things stand now, where the Cardinals are. They're outfield right now. It's brutal. It has a chance to be pretty bad. And to me, like I look at the the, the, the landscape, and it just makes so much sense for them to go sign Nicholas Castellanos. He would upgrade their lineup, make their outfield uh, not a joke, and he also just kind of feels like a Cardinals player. He's got sort of that sort of like, you know, like he's got a little bit of, I don't know, that certain je ne sais quoi, that's very Cardinals. I just don't see, you know, why this hasn't happened already. John Mazeliak had a quote recently to reporters, and obviously could just be being being coy. He said, uh, I think the improvement has to be internal. How many players performed at their level of expectation last year? Two. So you can easily, easily imagine that guys getting back to the norms is realistic. I mean, I guess if you want to just assume that Matt Carpenter's at age whatever he is going to turn around and become a star again, sure. Dexter Fowler, like maybe you get more out of Harrison Bader's bat. I mean, they're they're like counting on Tyler O'Neill and I guess like Dylan Carlson to you know pop, which I guess could happen. But yeah. when I talked to um, Will Leach, uh, our uh, noted co- Cardinals fan, <laughs> I was a Cardinals enthusiast to yeah. Will Leach. He's he seems just his 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 take has basically been that they they really believe in Carlson and that they kind of expect him to come up at some point this year and be a difference maker. And sure, he's a great prospect. Um, this week, uh, MLB Pipeline is unveiling its, its top 100 prospects Saturday, Saturday night on MLB Network. It's going to be revealed. Um, he'll be among the top outfield prospects in baseball. He hit at AA last year, 281, 364, 518, which is really good for a 20-year-old. But it doesn't exactly scream like, I'm going to come up this year and be a difference maker. And when right now your, your outfield is... You know, Tommy Edmond, who was 
to me one of the biggest flukes of last yeah. year. And who may have to play third base if Castellanos, if uh, Carpenter is. Uh, Harrison Bader, a great defender, really got a question in the bat. Yeah. Dexter Fowler, not, he's fine, but he's yeah. not an impact player anymore. I mean, Castellanos is like the one guy that can make a difference for them. And it actually can tilt to me, to me, that would make them the, I don't even, I'm not even that big of a Castellanos guy, but they have so much room for upgrade that he would be a big upgrade for them. Compelling points. But if, if Castellanos isn't playing like right field first base DH for Texas by the end of the week, I'm going to eat my hat. Like okay. that just seems so obvious because Texas never got a bat, right? I mean, they need somebody too. So it sort of feels like St. Louis is just kind of waiting for the Arenado situation to explode, right? Like, I mean, that would be a perfect fit for them, obviously. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. It's I, I'm shocked they've done nothing. They they signed uh, the pitcher whose name I can't remember, Kim, who seems like he'll be a good hacker. Yes. But they've done nothing on offense. Especially for, I mean, the team that, that's offense was so disappointing last year. Like, I expect maybe a mild bounce back from Goldschmidt, but, like, I'm, I'm not. Mild. You're, you can't expect more from Yadier Molina at this point. I don't think Wong is a great defender, but he's not going to progress at the bat. Uh, you know, DeYoung is interesting because he had a good season, sort of. He was awesome in April, and then he was really lousy for like the next five months. So, like, what is he going forward? It's not what you want. I, I, I kind, I'm kind of talking myself into the Reds. Yeah, well, but like by default, um, a little bit. I mean, I, if you actually ask me, I think that the Cubs, that the high end talent in their lineup, to me, would sort of like well, tilt it most in their in their favor. Um, but they behave weird oddly this this all season too. They haven't really done anything. I, I was going to say that we are uh, at risk, I guess, of like. There's so much bad feelings about the Cubs and the Astros and the Red Sox to a certain extent that we're going to forget that they're all good teams, right? It's not hard at all to see those three teams all making the playoffs next year. And we're all going to discount them because nobody wants to think about them right now. Um, I think I would st- like if I had to, I'd still probably pick the Cubs right now. But uh, I'm excited for the Reds. Good for them. They've made yeah, some, they've they're fun. Wrestling made some moves. Interesting roster. They've got some upside. They've got a little, they actually have a little bit of depth. Um, the bullpen's. Should be solid. So, they are they are the Lindor team. If there's a trade to be made, Senzel, get Lindor. I don't think that's going to happen either. Uh, but they are the team for that. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. Thanks for listening.